a listener production. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Crawling to the end of 2021. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. Hello, lovers. <laughs> welcome back to Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party, and it's one of our final tales that we're telling for 2021. Oh, I know, that sounded like you. there was too much of a drawn out. It was like one of our final tales <laughs> that we're telling. Oh, of 2021. That's like when I was sick for a week and you put up a post saying, um, heartbreaking news. <laughs> yes. And everyone thought we were ending the show, and I was like, oh, my God, you need to run this stuff by me. <laughs> I thought people would read the caption before they jumped to any conclusions. No one reads the caption, please. We had to take that post down. Please. It caused too much panic. I know. <laughs> oh, here we are. Um, yeah, crawling to the end. So close. And we're together right now. Yeehaw. In Melbourne. Yes. Yay. Freezing cold Melbourne. Oh, please. It's like 19 degrees. You know how I feel about temperatures in the <laughs> teens, especially at this time of year. But it's lovely to be here and wonderful to be in the same room as you. Yeah, it is really We nice. had a fun night last night. We did. Mm. We um, were meant to go see this movie, um, but then we went to the pub to get a few drinks first. And when it was time to leave to go to the movie, we were like, do you just want to stay here and drink? <laughs> so that's what we did. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. And then we watched Succession finale. Oh. Which was my second time and your first time. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that annoying thing where I'd seen it. So I kept stopping it to like talk about things that were coming up or that were happening. And you kept staring at my face to see my reaction <laughs> whenever did. there were major moments <laughs> coming up. <sighs> so it took us like two and a half hours to watch it. But a one hour episode. It's so good. If you haven't watched Succession season three yet or Succession at all, you have to get on yeah. it. I only got onto it this year and. So glad I, can't I did. I believe you only, you only started this year. I don't know what I was waiting for. I don't know what stopped me. You never listen to me when I tell it. you to watch things. You never listen I to me. I add things onto the list, but then I just never quite get around to I them. I tell you, have you watched, have you watched Pen15? Not yet. Have you watched Made? I haven't watched anything in the Have last you? Week. Oh, yeah, you haven't watched anything. <laughs> Except the succession finale. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, still. Um... It's nice having you here because Caleb's at home in Adelaide mm-hmm. for a couple of weeks. So I had like three nights to myself in the apartment and that was like quite enough for me. Mm. And so now you're here to take over. And I'm it's probably no... Substitute boyfriend. Well, it's no um, coincidence that I constantly mix up the two of your names. <laughs> Jacob and Caleb. I do, like, I, it's just, they are quite, mm-hmm. but I constantly call each of you by each other's names. Mm. Well, they're basically the same syllables and just jumbled around letters. And then he went to Adelaide and it's like you grabbed the baton and now it's your leg of the race. (laughs) And then soon I'll go home to Sydney so then my family will take over and, yeah. We're all co-parenting you. We're all co-parenting Rosie. Mm. Okay, time for breaking news. Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. I see. X-ray, X-ray, read all about it. A breaking news. 
It's coming down the wire. <laughs> I took a couple of real deep breaths in that one like I was barely going to make it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Some weeks I think, should we just pre-record that so I don't have to do it fresh every time? But... Press a button like, woke moment. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, that's what we need to talk about. <laughs> The SATC Sex of the City mm. reboot of what do you, what would you call it? Like relaunch, reunion, yeah. fantasy, all of those, uh, and just like that, um, came out. The first two episodes at this stage have come out, and um, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> we... Big died on a Peloton. Oh, spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> come on, it's been a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's on you if you don't know that by now. <laughs> um, and Rosie called it. By I the way. called it. I was messaging Jacob while I was watching the show, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm watching and just like that." And then I said, "I'm pretty certain Big's about to die on a peloton." <laughs> and ten minutes later, I was like, "He died on the peloton." <laughs> <laughs> the peloton killed him. Mm, and mm. you ruined that surprise for me. Um, <laughs> I seen it yet. Oh, sorry. But everyone knew he was going to die. It was like oh, it was in to. the news leading up to it for weeks. But um, I really want to talk to you about the ad that Peloton made in response in less than 24 hours. Genius. So as soon as Big died, he is riding on his Peloton, which for I don't think it's as big in Australia as it it is in the US, but it's basically an exercise bike that you buy and it has a built-in, like, computer and there you stream in live with instructors mm. to do biking classes, sessions, yeah. classes. And those instructors have, you know, become famous across the world in their own mm. right because people have certain instructors that they really love and the instructors really interact with the people in their classes. Mm. And um, it, it's a bit, uh, I've heard that the Peloton community is a little bit cultish, Very, a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, so people who have a Peloton are obsessed with their Peloton and being part of their online classes. And mm. obviously during COVID, that went gangbusters because no one could go to the gym. So it was mm. like having a gym at home. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, Big goes on the Peloton and there's so much obvious foreshadowing uh-huh. in the episode. <laughs> like he talks about needing nitroglycerin tablets for his heart. He talks about how he's only allowed one cigar a week because of his heart. Mm. Carrie's putting salt on the fish and he's like, not too much salt, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, and then she, they're meant to leave to go on a weekend break and she like ha- decides she has to go to, um, uh, Lily's. Lily's concert. Mm. What's her name? Uh, Prissy daughter. Charlotte's daughter's concert. And so it's like she was meant to be with him, but then she wasn't. And as she's walking out the door, he's like, I just wanted to get a last look at you. And she's like, ah. <laughs> oh. And so it's like it was just so obvious mm. he was going to cark it. He does this massive session on the Peloton and then he has a heart attack in the shower and Carrie runs in. Um, and sees him there, doesn't call 911, just runs over and, like, weeps holding Mm. him in her arms. And he's still alive. His arm is moving. He's Mm. reaching out to touch her. And I read an interview with a cardiologist because everyone's been obsessed with this the last week. And the cardiologist was like, 
like he it was so funny he he didn't quite know sex in the city and he kept calling her Jessica Sarah Parker <laughs> but he was like as a cardiologist I can tell you that it is absolutely her fault that he died mm. and had she called 911 straight away given him a nitroglycerin tablet which she talked about before so she knows mm. he has them and started immediate CPR which if your husband has a history of heart problems you mm. should know how to do he was like he would have lived. Yeah. There is no doubt he would have lived. Instead, she just sat in the shower screaming. Yeah. That felt really sloppy. It was dumb. And really frustrating. It was really dumb. Yeah. Um. So anyway. But it's in character as well because I've always found Carrie frustrating and completely illogical. Oh, she is. She's a completely yeah. insufferable, annoying person. Um. Maybe that's why Samantha effed them all off. Mm. Um. I'm going to keep watching it. Mm. But still. Um. Okay, next. Okay. You're going to like this. You know how I like to read you funny things off the internet? An engagement notice was going around mm-hmm. this week, and it is like the ultimate petty engagement notice of revenge. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to read it to you now? Yes. Wouldn't it be funny if you went, no, thanks, next? <laughs> <laughs> Pass. Um, okay, so... Dr. Matthew Johnson and Miss Jennifer Bear Cullen are pleased to announce their engagement to be married in February 2022. And then it just goes into some details about mm. so-and-so was born here and born here, blah, blah. Colton Cullen, the son of the bride, is delighted to share in this miracle of love and devotion he's witnessing for the first time in his life. Mm. He would like to thank his stepfather for the genuine loyalty, honesty, and protection that neither he nor his mother have ever known before. <laughs> As a diamond is produced only under intense heat and pressure, Jennifer's beauty derives from enduring decades of narcissistic attempts to defeat her (laughs) virtue and crush her spirit. (laughs) These sociopathic attacks backfired. Matthew is ecstatic to be the only man adequately equipped to satiate Jennifer's long unsatisfied yearning for romantic attention, affection and love. Similarly, as gold is refined only through intense heat and flame, Matthew's strength of will derives from enduring decades of pathological contempt, (laughs) deceit, and hypocrisy. They failed to break him. Jennifer is overjoyed to finally provide him with the unconditional love, undying respect, and gratifying intimacy like no man has ever experienced. To put it simply, they won. (laughs) There you go. (gasps) Jennifer and Matthew have got some uh, baggage. (laughs) No kidding. Oh, and it's in print. Yeah, that's from a newspaper. Oh, I'm looking at it now. I thought it was just like a Facebook diatribe manifesto. No, no, thing no. That this is out. an engagement announcement in a newspaper. <laughs> so it's not even just going to friends and family. No. It's public. It's public. <laughs> I love it so much. Like they're kind of putting out this statement saying, um, we don't care about our ex-partners. We don't even think about them. Here's a whole announcement involving them. <laughs> But we don't even care. You have to post this on the Just the Juice. I shall. Instagram, you need to see the picture of them lovingly staring into each other's eyes. After surviving years of sociopathic narcissist attacks. He's got long grey hair in a ponytail. I love it. He looks like a jazz musician. (laughs) 
And she looks like she looks like she sells like wind chimes, homemade wind chimes. Dream catches. At a market stall, yeah. So there's just a little internet um (laughs) gold. All the happiness in the world. (laughs) I wanna know. I wanna know what their ex-partners think of that announcement. (laughs) I love it so much. Okay. In other shocking, although I shouldn't say shocking, that's a bit mean. Mm. But look, in Okay, pleasantly surprising. That's a nice way of putting it. Breaking news. Kim Kardashian passed her first year law exam. She passed what they call the baby bar. Um, And we had talked in the past about how we didn't think she was maybe cut out for it. And I stand corrected. I am eating my words. I am toy, toy, toy. I have got egg on my face. She did it. It turns out paying exorbitant amounts of money to lawyers to sit and study with you for 10 hours a day for two years means you can pass an exam. Mm -hmm. And I love that when she posted about it, she posted this really heartfelt, long caption about how hard she had worked, how her father, who was a lawyer, would be so proud of her, how she you know, had already uh, failed the exam, I think, like three times, and this was her fourth attempt. And and um, and along with that caption, she just posted, like, a series of thirst trap photos in her bathroom mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was saying to Jacob yesterday, I was like, it's so funny because when often on Instagram when people post clearly sexy thirst trap photos where they think they look really hot, mm-hmm. they feel like they need to put a caption with it to, like excuse the fact they're putting up that photo, Mm. like just feeling really good today. I want everyone to know, blah, 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 like whatever. Mm. And it's like, just say, I think my boobs look good. Mm. Like that's fine. But I love that Kim K feels like she has to post a sexy photo to excuse having an earnest (laughs) caption. (laughs) Like she does it the other way around. Mm. I'm proud of her. Yeah, good for her. I think it's great. It was a great moment for me last night when you – told me this, you broke the news by just announcing, oh my God, Kimmy K passed. And can you describe my face? I went, I went, oh my God, Kimmy K passed. And Jacob went, oh, like you looked horrified. And then I went, no, the bar exam. Not away. Not away. Oh, that moment in And Just Like That when Charlotte is asked about where's Samantha, the fourth musketeer, and she goes, she's no she's longer, no longer with, with us. Like, that's a totally normal way to say she doesn't live here anymore. Well, I assumed if we were talking about Kim K passing, what else have we talked about her trying to pass? I thought... We had a shorthand. This took a moment. It he literally moment. thought she'd... And we'd literally been sitting at the pub already for like 45 minutes. You think I would just bring that up as like the <laughs> sixth thing while we're casually having a wine at five o'clock that Kim Kardashian was dead? <laughs> uh, made no sense. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of her and I've never been more happy to eat my words. Mm. I think it's great. I mean, if only we all had the resources to uh, design that kind of education for ourselves. Mm. And I don't mean that in a snarky way. Yeah. Like I, she decided she wanted to be a lawyer and she has billions of dollars mm. and so and she can't really go to traditional college or mm. university. So she literally like 
designed her education herself. She mm. got in lawyers, she got in professors. They taught her the syllabus that she needed to know and then she had to register to do this is like the um, kind of like the trials to your final exam. Mm-hmm. So this is like the, they call this the baby bar and then I think in a year she'll do the big bar, mm-hmm. law bar exam. Um, and she just, you know, she had the resources and I wouldn't it be great if we could all do that? Mm. Because there are probably a lot of people who would be great effing lawyers mm. if they had the money and the time and the resources to devote to, uh, like, becoming educated yep. like that. But mm. you know what? She is and she has. Mm-hmm. And so good on her. And she's done good things with it already. She's already devoted a lot of her time to getting wrongfully convicted people out of prison or not even wrongfully convicted people, sometimes just people who've had, she's really devoted a lot of time to getting people with minor drug offences mm. who got, because of mandatory um, sentencing in the US, she people with really minor drug offences get mm. sent to prison for like 25 years and she campaigned to get Donald Trump to pardon them like because she could. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to see what she does with it. Mm. She's really turned a corner this year, hasn't she? Staten Pete Davidson. Uh, is that real? Yes. Oh, Didn't I, you know that's real? I just thought that was a trick. No, they've been pictured everywhere holding oh. hands and passing. Oh. Yeah. And Kanye keeps doing concerts, crying on stage, saying he wants her back. Oh. And um, uh, God is insisting that they should be together. <laughs> And a few days ago, she updated her divorce petition saying, like, there is no hope. Please hurry this along. Mm. So he's not accepting it. And she is, like, having super fun with young toy boy comedian Pete Davidson, passing her bar exam, like, living it up. Mm -hmm. It's just nice to see her laughing in all of the photos I see with her, with Pete Davidson, she's mm. laughing her head off. Mm. And it's like the entire time she was with Kanye, it's like she wasn't allowed to smile because it didn't look good in photos. Right. Like they always had to look very serious and yeah, serene. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and with Pete Davidson, she's just laughing all the time. Yeah. I think that's nice. I mean, we saw when she hosted SNL, she actually has an incredible sense of humour. Yeah, she's I really had funny. no idea. Yeah. Her opening monologue was hilarious. Yeah, she nailed it. Um, yeah. Good for her. The Kimmy yeah. Kaneissance. Kimmy K, the Kimmy Kaneissance. And she has passed her bar exam, not away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone's been asking to see the turkeys. Mm-hmm. The turkeys came. Mm-hmm. And I cannot even tell you how hilarious <laughs> the turkeys are. Starting with the size, which was not what I was expecting. <laughs> Smaller than a postcard. Also, there's not, it's not three turkeys. It's a turkey, a peacock, and like a chicken. Mm. So I just very drunkly yelled at the woman on the phone, <laughs> I want the turkeys! Spare no expense! And it's not. And it, yeah, it is literally... I thought it was going to be like an A3 sized artwork and mm. it's smaller than the palm of my hand. <laughs> um, I'm telling you all of this because I know my very supportive of my career boyfriend, Caleb, doesn't listen to the mm. podcast <laughs> and I can't show you a picture of the turkeys until I give it to him for Christmas mm. because he doesn't know it's arrived yet. Mm. So it's going to be a surprise. Shh. But as soon as he opens the present, I will post a photo on Christmas Day. 
of the turkeys that I bought from a dodgy art auction on television at 2am. <laughs> I got to say, though, the thrill of being part of an art auction, it's mm. like, ooh, it kind of, it's like I'm in the art world now. Mm. I'm in it. You're hooked. I'm hooked. They've got you in. I bought the turkeys for an amount of money that still makes me feel, like, anxious and sick in my stomach. <laughs> but... It was funny, and I got to say, the thrill when your bid wins, mm. which quickly turns to, wait, how much did I just agree to pay? Is um, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. <laughs> I'm I'm worried that this is a gateway drug, and you're going to develop a little problem, and I'm going to have to launch an intervention at some point to stop you buying these first edition postcards. First edition. <laughs> What did they call it again? An exclusive something, something, etching, something, something. And then they just very quickly put the word print in there, (laughs) which is basically like you could have just printed this yourself Mm -hmm. off the internet. Yes. Although it's in a nice frame. Beautiful frame. In a nice frame. And it came all the way from America. From America, Mm. yes, I think. So between postage and the frame. I in Melbourne talked to a girl in Atlanta who herself was from Ireland Mm. and the auctioneer sounds Australian so it's all you can't tell what's going on oh man it's a dodgy dodgy (laughs) operation but uh I love the turkeys or the turkey and other birds that you can barely see because it's so tiny (laughs) so money well spent um Live shows. Yeah. They're on sale. Selling very quickly. And they're selling very quickly. Mm. Um, Sydney first show already sold out. Mm. So um, they've added a second Sydney show. Um, It's looking like a couple other cities will sell out pretty soon too. So if you want to get tickets, get in ASAP. Mm -hmm. Good Christmas present for your loved one who already owns a Segway. Mm -hmm. Get them some Just the Gist tickies. Um, And we've only posted the capital cities but there is going to be a regional leg of the tour mm-hmm. where we're going to go to other smaller places. They're just still um, dotting all the I's and crossing the T's of that, so we just haven't announced those places yet. But coming soon. And they do listen when you hassle them because mm. there's a few places we've missed and people on Instagram have gone nuts demanding we go there and our our tour manager has looked at yep. that. Mm-hmm. So we don't really have much control over that, like... They just, because they do all the organising, we just turn up and make fools of ourselves. So, yeah, if you want us to go somewhere, put it on socials and... um, Yeah, make some noise about it. Put out the gist signal. But then you have to promise you'll actually buy a ticket. Yeah, if if we organise a show somewhere and then none of you buy tickets, we'll be in so much trouble for, like, demanding our tour take us there. Mm -hmm. So buy tickets. (laughs) Okay. And uh, Jacob is actually partly here in Melbourne because we have a lot of detailed um, rehearsal Mm -hmm. to do. Mm. Can't give you much more detail than that, but it involves a lot of dance moves. The process has begun. The process has begun. Mm -hmm. So um, you're going to be seeing a scene (laughs) is all we're saying. So get your ticks ASAP. We're really pumped. It will be quite a display. It will be quite an undignified display. (laughs) And we have been reminded that we did promise last week at every show, Jacob and I are going to have for sale a single original artwork from each of us because we would like to see how much part of the art racket world we can get people to pay Mm. for that piece of art. 
<laughs> art is only as valuable as people are willing to pay for it. That's right. Because you know my favorite saying, what is art? <laughs> I wonder what we'll draw. Paint. We'll keep it a surprise. We'll keep it a surprise. Mm. Okay, so that was freaking news. Okay, so in 1978, 18-year-old mm. Dorothy Stratton was flown to Hollywood by Play- Playboy magazine after her boyfriend had sent in some pictures of her. Mm-hmm. Less than two years later, shortly after being named Playboy's Playmate of the Year, Dorothy was dead. Mm. This is just the gist of the murder of Dorothy Stratton. Ooh. Yeah. Dark? It is. I mean, it is. It's sad. And I will say here, like, content warning, there are some um, themes of domestic violence that we'll touch on in this episode. Um, But, you know, I think it's also really nice to just talk about who she was as a person and her life and what she achieved in two very short years and what it looked like she was going to go on and achieve, Mm. which was pretty... She was already breaking out as a major star Mm. when she very sadly was killed. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. I mean, can you imagine how huge it was that the Playboy Playmate of the Year Mm. was murdered Mm. while she was Playmate of the Year? Still raining. Yeah. Um. Like, that is... It was a huge story and... um. You know, it's gone on to influence a lot of pop culture. I didn't know while I was researching this that the song Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers is, like, about Dorothy Stratton. Oh. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of – she's gone on to influence just a lot of art and a lot of pop culture. And um, and I think it's weird that it's not more of a well-known story. Mm. Okay. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. In – 1977, in Vancouver, Canada, Dorothy Hootstraten, her name was Hootstraten, is an unbelievably beautiful and massively shy 17-year-old. She's going to high school and working part-time at a local Dairy Queen, which is like a fast food ice cream place in the U.S., um, to help her mum pay the bills. She has a little sister who's um, eight years younger than her, so her little sister's nine years old. Um, it was said by most people who knew her that she had no concept of how beautiful she was mm-hmm. and were, like often found it hard to understand why she constantly got so much m- mostly male attention mm-hmm. that she didn't want mm-hmm. and was not um, comfortable with. Uh, do you want to look at a picture of her now? Yeah, sure. And like I want you to describe to people just like how gorgeous she is. Yeah, have a look at these. Oh, okay, so very much Farrah Fawcett vibes. Yes. She's got blonde hair and that's sort of feathered out and quite kind of buffy. Um, Just tall, like statuesque. Beautiful smile. Yeah. Just looks like a movie star. Mm. Like, just looks. Daryl Hannah. Very Daryl Hannah esque. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. She's just. The kind of person who is otherworldly mm. beautiful. Like I remember when I worked at um, 
the cinemas on George Street while I was at uni in Sydney. Like, we did all the premieres. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would see, like, very famous people all the time. And there are some of those people who you immediately understand why they're movie stars. Like, mm -hmm. I remember serving Kate Blanchett and just... She's like an alien. Mm. She looks like an alien. Mm. Like you, you, she is a movie star. Mm. And same as Nicole Kidman in person is just like out of this world. Ethereal. Yes. Mm. And even Hugh Jackman, I just mm. could not take my eyes off him. He was so tall and statuesque and just unbelievably handsome. Mm. Like the camera, like takes away from this. When you see these people in person, you're like, mm. you know what I mean? Some people are just genetically born to mm. be like, you know, a supermodel or yeah. an actress or whatever. Mm. Oh my God, Miranda Kerr was another one. I remember she came in and I could not, I actually like followed her from like one, she walked past the cinema I was in and I saw her and I was like, oh my God, that's Miranda Kerr. And it's like she puts a spell on your brain because mm. she looks this way. And I walked out of my cinema and just like followed her, like, I don't know, like <laughs> till she got to where her cinema, like, because mm. I just couldn't stop staring mm. at her because it's like, you're like, oh, that's why you're a supermodel yeah, yeah. because they just are genetic aliens, mm. people who are this beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Dorothy Stratton was. She was just astronomically mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, one of the people paying attention to her, which made her uncomfortable, was a 26-year-old man called Paul Snyder. Mm. And Paul came into the Dairy Queen one day and was blown away by Dorothy and immediately said to a friend, that girl is going to make me a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Paul was a super dodgy dude. Just think like if this is, you know, the late 70s, just think a real sleazy, mustachioed, mm -hmm. like greasy-haired hustler. Mm -hmm. He really was just actually, like actually just a skeezy mm -hmm. hustler. Um, he was a nightclub promoter, mm -hmm. which is like the official job of skeezy hustlers. <laughs> like, and it's also widely believed that he was a pimp on the side, so yeah. he would often find attractive girls in town um, and, like, act like he was dating them but eventually manipulate them to the point where he would get them to have sex for money and then mm -hmm. he would keep most, if not all, mm -hmm. of that money. So he was a really dodgy guy who kind of uses women mm -hmm. to make a living, yep. mostly. Um he also, as an interesting little tidbit, was one of the people who helped come up with the idea for Chippendales, which is the male stripper review act, which you've been working on an app mm -hmm. coming up about because there's a lot of murders soon. involved yeah, huh. in that one as well. So mm. this episode kind of ties quite neatly into what will be your upcoming Chippendales app. Yeah, but the thing was, Paul and Dorothy for me were just kind of a footnote within the story, yeah. so it's good that we're sort of getting this context about them. Yeah, because with. I think often when people talk about all the murders involved with the Chippendales thing, they just go, oh, yeah, and by the way, interesting tidbit, mm. this poor guy was married to Dorothy Stratton and then she died, and it's like, what? Yeah. Like, it's a, and apparently she played a huge part, like, when he came up with the idea for Chippendales, um, or, like, he... He says he came up with the idea for Chippendale. You'll mm. go into it, but he was it was a lot of people who they were coming up with ideas and um it was her idea to dress up the male strippers with the bow tie and the cuffs mm. like 
um, Playboy bunnies. Yep. So the best idea, and it was, of course, the woman's. Yeah. Anyway. And she convinced Hugh Hefner to let them do it. Yeah, yeah. Because he was against the idea completely, and she was like, no, come on, it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, and she took him to go and see the Chippendales I didn't shows. know that. Yeah. And so then he gave them the blessing. Because it really was. It would have just been outside of Hugh Hefner's realm of imagination that women deserve mm. entertainment. Like, women deserve to use the female gaze to objectify men. Yeah. That He would not have ever understood that. That was foreign to everyone yeah. at that time. But especially Hugh Hefner. Yes. <laughs> especially mm. Hugh Hefner. So anyway, yeah, he, he Paul Snyder had his finger in a lot of weird, dodgy mm. nightclub act kind of pies, but mainly kind of attached himself to women and got them to work for him often in awful ways that they didn't he want to be doing. exploited them terribly. Yeah. And we'll put some pictures of him on the Instagram, of course, because you need to see the way he dresses. Yeah. Floor-length fur coats. Yeah. His shirt unbuttoned down to his navel, a big gold <laughs> star of David on his hairy Just chest. exactly what you think of when you think of a skeezy nightclub promoter mm. slash pimp in the 1970s. Yes, they called him <laughs> he, the Jewish pimp. Yeah, mm. that is exactly what he looks like. Um... So anyway, Paul saunters into the Dairy Queen and he starts trying to charm Dorothy. And as is often the case with, you know, often young girls who are shy and probably don't have the best self-esteem, she really falls for his charm. Mm -hmm. And they started to date. He even took her to her high school prom. Mm -hmm. He constantly told her how beautiful she was and, um, you know, in his like his usual way of doing things was to date women, act like he's their boyfriend and then start to manipulate them when they're already in quite deep Mm -hmm. and feel like they need him. Mm -hmm. And so he was going to do that with Dorothy, but Dorothy was different because she was far and away the most beautiful girl she'd ever seen. Like she was actually far and away the most beautiful girl most people Mm -hmm. had ever seen. So, I mean, she really was a bigger meal ticket to him than any other woman he'd mm. come across. He, it was basically like winning the lottery mm. to him meeting her because she had a legitimate opportunity to go somewhere yep. big. So he gets her to do a skimpy photo shoot, mm. which she was really uncomfortable with and didn't really want to do, but he convinces her because Playboy magazine is having a competition they call the Great Playmate Hunt. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I think you could win and, you know, this will be your chance to jump into other things. It will just be a stepping stone. Like, And so even though she's uncomfortable with it, really uncomfortable with her sexuality, mm. he at that point is the only person she's ever had sex with. She's, she's only 17. Mm. Um, she agrees to take these photos and they send them off to um, Playboy magazine. Mm. And the people at Playboy were immediately like, get on a plane and come here tomorrow, mm-hmm. the second they saw her photos. I listened to this amazing podcast series um, by Wondery called Death of a Starlet, and um, they interview quite a few people who were working at Playboy at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, the one who goes into the most detail is the woman who was Playboy's photo editor at the time and who worked for Playboy for almost 40 years called um, Mo Grabowski. Mm-hmm. And I think it's short for Marilyn or m- something, but... She's Mo. She goes by Mo. Um, And Mo said that Dorothy's pictures were unlike anything they'd ever seen. Mm. And they got thousands of submissions, Mm. like, a month. Like, and, And for her to stand out was a big deal. 
So um, they get her on a plane ASAP. By this point, it's 1978, so she's finished high school, but she's still, like, only just turned 18, which um, isn't old enough to give permission to pose for Playboy. So she has to get her mother to sign a permission slip for her to go and do a naked photo shoot. She flies out there by herself. It's the first time she's ever been on a plane. Mm. She lands in L.A., gets picked up in a limo, which takes her straight to the Playboy Mansion where she meets Mo in an office. Mm. And Mo just says, basically, we're going to take some test shots and see if what you sent us is something Mm -hmm. you can replicate, Mm -hmm. like if we'd want to work with you. So they took some test shots and she said, well, you can go home now and you'll hear from us. Mm. Um, Lots of people at the time who met her then described her as like, a woman child, mm. which is just the perfect combination for pervy men. Mm. It's like you're the Madonna and the whore. Like she had no concept of how sexy she was, mm. but she absolutely had a body that men were desperate to have sex with. Mm-hmm. But she was still so wide-eyed and innocent and vulnerable. And it's like she's sexy but doesn't really know that she's sexy because heaven forbid a woman mm. know that she's sexy and own her sexuality and be confident in it. It's mm. like men find that, or men did, and particularly in the Playboy universe, found that kind of a turnoff. Mm-hmm. They just wanted someone who was sexy but who hadn't been ruined. Mm-hmm. So she kind of had that perfect innocent combination. Yeah, yeah. An innocent young girl who just doesn't realise that her body is mm-hmm. out of this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a quality that is very difficult for them to find. Mm-hmm. And they often try to um, create it in the pages of Playboy, but she actually has it. Uh-huh. Um, so she gets down to the final two of this playmate hunt, the prize of which is a centerfold photo shoot. But Hugh Hefner and Mo decide not to make her the winner, even though she was clearly the winner. They decided that they don't think she's ready to handle the press side of things at this stage because she's so young and naive and so shy and winning this competition would mean you'd have to do a lot of press interviews and a lot of radio and TV and and be the face of Playboy for a while, and Mm. they just didn't think she was ready for that spotlight. Um, They wanted to give her a bit more time to kind of, like, train her up, I guess, for the job, which they were convinced she was going to get, like, Mm. soon. So they get her to move to L.A. from Canada Mm. so she can work more closely with the Playboy, I guess, kind of company as a whole, Mm. which at this time was obviously Playboy magazine, There was also the Playboy Mansion, which is where Mm. Hugh Hefner lived, but that's also kind of where the offices were. There's also Playboy clubs. Um, And it's it's hard to describe what the job actually was when you were... She was essentially a playmate on the Mm. payroll. Mm. And all you kind of do is, like, be in attendance in all the parties at the Mm. mansion... She would work at the Playboy Club sometimes, but she wasn't old enough to serve alcohol, so she just was kind of, her job was to just walk around and be a pretty thing Mm. in the club. Um, She would occasionally do small photo shoots for the magazine. Mm. Um, Sometimes Hugh Hefner would do TV specials from the mansion, so she'd be like just a girl in the background. Mm. They kind of like had her on the payroll while they were grooming her for what they were sure would be a bigger role. Yeah. But to be a paid playmate is just to kind of be a paid pretty thing. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Paul comes with her. Uh He's not going to let her go alone. 
They've been dating for about a year at this point, and he's convinced that he made her at this stage. He's like, it was my idea to send in those photos. Like, I discovered her. So he starts calling himself her manager. He starts taking all of her money. Um, He starts turning up at the Playboy parties where everybody just thinks he's a massive loser. Like, when we put up photos of him, you can just see he's such a poser. He's not... He's not a legitimate person. So he would... Zoom in on the crotch. Yeah. Like... He wears the tightest <laughs> pants in the world and he dresses to the right. He really does. And he wants everyone to know it. And he would go to like these parties and he would literally like go up to Hugh Hefner and start talking about business deals like they were equals. And mm. Hugh Hefner would just be looking at him like, who the F is this loser? Like, How did he get into this party? Mm. And he would also openly make out with other women at the parties. Oh. Like, he didn't give an F. He oh. was just such a pervy skis. Um, and he would often try and turn up to the mansion without Dorothy and just tell the bouncers at the door, like, I'm here to see Hef. It's Dorothy's <laughs> manager. You know, like, Hef will know. And Hef was like, tell him to get lost. Like, it actually got to the point where he was banned from the property unless Dorothy was with him at all times. Oh. So, I mean, they know that Dorothy's going to be something special and yeah. that's the only reason they're putting up with Paul because mm. he's her boyfriend and she tells everyone, you know, I'm so lucky to have him, mm. as is often the way with women who are with quite abusive, controlling men like this. She's convinced. She believes a lot of what he says. You wouldn't be here without me. I'm the one who made all this happen. Mm. Um, and she's also, like, shy, just 18, and in a new place, in a crazy new world, and Paul's the only person she knows. Yeah. So, of course, she wants to, like, mm-hmm. stick with him. Um, during this time as a paid playmate, which I still just find the most bizarro job, there's actually a really fascinating um, article you can read. Um, I was listening to this podcast series about uh, just Playboy in general, mm. and um, Gloria Steinem went undercover as a playmate. Get out. Back or back yeah. even earlier than that. She did it, like, I think in the late 60s. Yeah. Um, and she worked there for, like, I think about a month and wrote a scathing piece about what it was like <laughs> and how the women were treated. And because Hugh Hefner made this huge deal about, like, no, I'm empowering for women because I'm allowing women to be sexual. I'm mm. allowing everybody to embrace their sexuality, which after the very tightly wound period of the 50s and 60s mm. was something people were desperate to do. And he was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with women embracing their bodies and using their bodies to their advantage. And mm. yes, like from a simplistic like standpoint, that is all positive, like mm. that is all true. But also what Gloria Steinem found is that the women were barely paid, mm. like or they were paid next to nothing. They were treated like crap. They were sexually harassed, often sexually abused, mm. expected to do sexual things that they weren't comfortable with. That certainly was never part of the job description. Like so on its surface, he acted like this was a feminist empowering place for Mm. women, but there was a lot of murky, ugly stuff under the surface. Oh, this is going to tie up so nicely with the Chippendale stuff that I'm going to cover very soon. Um, Yeah, so they're basically, they're putting up with Paul because she's going to be something. And Mm. and as far as she's saying now, he's part of that package. Mm. So they're like, fine. Um, And during this time as a paid playmate, Dorothy is actually also doing something that Playboy Playmates rarely, if ever, 
had done then and mm. or have done since her, she is managing to book acting gigs that have nothing to do with Playboy uh-huh. or nudity mm. or anything like that. Like she's just booking actual mainstream gigs while she's living in Hollywood. She's just got so much star quality that what they call the Playboy curse doesn't apply to her, which is like mm. as soon as a woman takes off her clothes for money, she's no longer taken seriously. Right. She's never She never is able to enter the mainstream. Mm-hmm. If you start off as a Playboy bunny, you're never going to become, mm-hmm. you know, a massive legitimate star, right. which is I think it is it's changing now. Women who embrace their sexuality and things, you know, it's it's become a lot more mainstream for women to use things like OnlyFans, mm. even legitimate actors use thing like things like OnlyFans. Um but for women it's still incredibly difficult once you are put in the uh playboy kind of box mm. to ever enter into legitimate actor box, which is such bullshit because when you think about someone like Magic Mike, what's his name? Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum mm. started as a stripper. Did he? Oh. That's what Magic Mike is about. It's about. It's based on his life. Is that a biography? Yeah. <laughs> he, Channing Tatum started as a male, like, stripper, right. a male exotic dancer in shows like, I would say, similar to Chippendales. Yeah, yeah. And... If anything, that just, like, magnified his star power because people loved that about him. Mm. But if you come across a female actress, if anybody finds out that she ever did anything, like, stripped or worked for, you know, whatever, like, Mm. uh, did, like, I'm not talking when, you know, female actors do a fun little cheeky cover for Playboy. I'm Mm. talking if she's done, like, a full frontal nude spread in Playboy. They're never getting cast in a legitimate movie. I think that's still the case today, to Mm. be honest. But Dorothy was because she was just really good. Was she using the same name in Playboy and on screen? Like They changed her name. Oh, did I mention they changed her name to Stratton? They took out the Hoot. Oh, no. So when she came to Playboy, they were like, Hoot Stratton is not sexy. Okay. <laughs> so they changed her name to Dorothy Stratton. Mm. And, um, yeah, she's using the same name across the board. Okay. She's getting auditions because of her People are seeing her from Playboy mm. and in Playboy stuff and she's getting legitimate auditions. She's, um, like, you know, getting little TV shows. She's on, um, like, what is it called? Fantasy Island uh-huh. and, like, shows like that. She um, gets actually the lead in a film. It's a satire of Star Wars called Galaxina. Uh-huh. And she plays Galaxina. Mm. Um, and so she's getting all these, like, she's, you know, for someone who just got to Hollywood, mm. she's booking a lot of work mm. and doing really well and Paul is starting to freak yeah. because like most abusive partners, the more successful and independent their partner gets, mm. the more they worry that that person's going to realise they don't need you anymore mm. and then you will lose your control over them. So in 1979, he convinces Dorothy to marry him. Mm-hmm. She confides in Mo at the time that she doesn't really want to do it, but she she's a really lovely person and she feels like she owes him oh. for everything he's done to get her there. Mm. Um, and she also said to Mo, I just didn't want to get into an argument about it. <laughs> so I just did it. <laughs> Fuck it. How bad could it be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Classic line from the finale episode of Succession. Um, Hugh Hefner also tries to talk her out of it, 
but she goes through with it and marries Paul Snyder when she's 19 and he's 28. Uh, Hugh Hefner immediately sets her up. He's like, I couldn't stop you from marrying him, but he sets her up with a business manager mm-hmm. so that she can at least have someone besides Paul managing her money mm-hmm. or because mostly he was just, to be honest, spending it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not long after the marriage, Dorothy is named 1980s Playmate of the Year. So she's mm-hmm. done her training. They were like, it cannot be denied. Mm-hmm. You are a star. This is like the pinnacle of, this is like the Miss Universe of Playboy. She's right. the top, top of the top. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd been getting her ready for about 12 months and they decided she was ready. So she gets a cover, you get a photo spread. She got $200,000 plus a whole bunch of prizes like a Jaguar and stuff for her house wow. and yeah, a lot of stuff. Um, she goes on a press tour starting with Late Night with Johnny Carson and it is, you can watch the interview on YouTube. She's mm. just so lovely and sweet mm. and charismatic and just has that it factor mm-hmm. You when you're watching her. Um, she also, around this time, meets a very famous director at one of the Playboy Mansion parties, a man called Peter Bogdanovich. Mm -hmm. So he had directed a bunch of Oscar-nominated films by the time he was 35. Age doesn't matter. Success and age doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Things like Paper Moon with Tatum O'Neill. She famously won an Oscar for when she was 10 years old. Uh Um, The Last Picture Show, which Uh is a really famous film. He was pretty much like the most respected award-winning director in Hollywood at this time. Mm -hmm. He had famously left his producing partner wife, Polly Platt, to be with a very young Sybil Shepherd, who was the star of one of his movies. Uh Then he and Sybil Shepherd had been together and his relationship with Sybil had just ended. So now he was like single and ready to pervily mingle. So he's at the mansion like every day. Mm -hmm. Like he is like a fixture at the Playboy mansion parties. Um, And he had a reputation, A, for being a bit of a perv and also he was often called the most arrogant man in Hollywood. So people just didn't really like Mm him. Um, He takes an immediate shot. Oh, and also I should say, just an aside, I listened to an amazing podcast series about his ex-wife, Polly Platt, who was his major producing partner. Mm. And after he left her for like a 20-year-old Sybil Shepherd, his movies got really shit and Uh. her movies went on to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I listened to this whole series about her amazing career and people say that really she was the talent behind him all along anyway. What's the podcast series called? Um, It's on You Must Remember This. Okay. And it's just a series on Polly Platt. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's a regular at the mansion and he's a bit pervy and he sees Dorothy and she just knocks him out. He Mm. can't believe how beautiful he is. She she is. Um, he offers her the chance to audition for a small role in his new film, which Mm. is generally just his way of like picking up Mm -hmm. girls at the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. Um, but the thing with Dorothy is... She actually comes and auditions and she is so amazing mm. that he rewrites the entire film so that it would include a much bigger role for her. Uh-huh. And um, he, at that point, starts to become what many say is obsessively in love mm. with Dorothy Stratton. And this blossoming little thing between Dorothy and Peter Bogdanovich um, is happening right when she's finally 
finally starting to realise that Paul Snyder mm. is a dud um, and that she doesn't need him. I think because she's just built her confidence up. Like yeah. when she first got to Hollywood, she was 17. She didn't know anyone. He was convincing her that she'd be nothing without him. But she's been there, you know, for like 18 months now and she's a big deal. Her mm. star's on the rise. She's booking heaps of work. She just got made Playmate of the Year. She's travelling a lot without him because Playboy won't let him go mm. on things. Um, and so she's just having a lot of time without him and realising her own brilliance mm. and coming into her own independence. Mm. Um, and this is also when he's just flailing around with no job, lots of ideas on how to continue making money. Like he tries putting on a mud wrestling night at some local club. That doesn't work. Then he kind of gets slightly involved with the Chippendales mm. thing, but he's so annoying that they kind of, he gets left behind on mm. that. And he, um, then decides that he wants to make Dorothy into a best-selling poster, like the very famous Farrah Fawcett poster mm-hmm. of her and her red mm-hmm. swimwear and the hair. And he's like, that poster sold literally like, this is before the internet. So mm-hmm. if you wanted a picture of a pretty movie star, you had to buy mm-hmm. a physical poster and stick it on your wall. So he was like, let's get Dorothy to do a photo shoot and make just as popular a poster. So he makes her do this photo shoot. He even, when she flies home to Canada for part of the press tour after being Playmate of the Year, buys his own plane ticket, follows her there and forces her to go around town to dodgy local nightclub doing appearances Uh, that he gets the fee for. uh, That, like, not sanctioned by Playboy. So mm. she's working all day and then he's like, and now you've got to come out to all these clubs at night and be paraded around Mm -hmm. so I get paid. Yeah, yeah. So he's flailing and he's really feeling like this meal ticket is slipping through his fingers. He's Mm. losing control of her. And this is when she meets Peter Bogdanovich, auditions for his film, gets the part and flies to New York for two months to film Mm -hmm. what is called And They All Laughed. And Paul is stuck in L.A. He can't even afford to get a ticket for himself to fly out there now, um, to fly out to New York now to follow her. And he suspects they're having an affair. Um, And he's right. She later admits that they sleep together the day after they land in New York. So she's already falling in love with Peter Bogdanovich, Um, which, by the way, he's 40 and she's 19. So gross, but anyway... Um, Paul is getting more and more desperate. He's calling dozens of times a day, sending messages. Um, But Peter Bogdanovich basically becomes controlling in his own way and blocks all access to Dorothy. Basically, no one's allowed to talk to her. No one's allowed to get through to her. No one's allowed to call her, including Mm. Paul, unless it goes through Peter. So Paul just physically cannot get in touch with her. Mm. He hires a private investigator to go and, like, spy on them to see if they're sleeping together, which Mm. the investigator tells him they are. Um, When shooting of the film is finished after two months, Dorothy and Peter have just very much fallen in love. They're an item. And so when she goes back to L.A., she moves into Peter's mansion Mm. and she tells Paul that she wants a divorce. Mm -hmm. And he loses it. Like, he has no money. He can't afford to keep the apartment they'd been living in without her. Mm. He starts selling all of her prizes from winning Playmate of the Year. He sells her Jaguar. He sells everything Ah. for, like, at a loss Mm. because he's just desperate for any cash. He keeps hassling her to give her consent 
to use the photos they'd shot to make the poster, but she's now changed her mind. She's like, I don't want to do that kind of thing mm. anymore. I'm not letting... He he keeps sending her contracts and she refuses to allow the poster thing to happen, which he was relying on to make him a gazillion dollars. Mm. Um, he withdraws $15,000 from their joint bank account, which is the maximum he can get, and then he even gets some random blonde woman off the street to go into the bank with him and pretend to be Dorothy Stratton so they can withdraw... He can oh. empty the account... <laughs> But the bank is like, that's not Dorothy Stratton. Yeah. She's famous yeah. and beautiful and this is some random lady you picked up on the corner. Um, and so the um, bank gets in touch with her and this is when she's like, okay, I've got to do something. And mm. she's a good, kind mm. person. And despite everything that's happened, she still tells everyone around her that she does feel gratitude towards Paul mm. and even though he's been difficult, he was special to her at one point, they are still technically married mm. and so she wants to end things in a way where she feels like he's okay mm-hmm. because she's a decent, lovely person. Mm-hmm. Um but she talks to her business manager who's like, he's already stolen so much from you. Mm. Like, he's got more than his fair share. Don't worry about giving him his fair share. He's already got it. Yep. Um, if anything, more than his fair mm. share. And her business manager said, like, just have lawyers handle everything now. They can handle the divorce. You don't have to see him. Just stay away from him. And Peter Bogdanovich, who's also a little controlling, forbids her from seeing him. Hugh Hefner's like, do not see him. Um but she thinks that she can try and end things amicably. So one day she goes to see Paul and doesn't tell anyone she's going. She doesn't Mm. tell Peter. She doesn't tell Hugh Hefner. She doesn't tell Mo. She thinks that he'll be easier to handle if she talks to him herself. Mm. She's like, if a lawyer goes to him with just a divorce contract, Mm. he'll lose it. I can calm him. Like Mm. I can, I can mitigate this situation. So she goes to the apartment they used to share with $1,100 to give to him because she knows he needs cash immediately. She wants to help him. Mm. And she's going to plan, you know, she talk, she wants to talk to him about what their plans are to divorce yep. and how she doesn't want to leave him with nothing. She mm. wants to make sure he's okay. She wants to try. She thinks that they'll be able to have an amicable conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes over to the apartment planning on telling him that she's going to marry Peter and Mm. that's it. And then nobody hears from her for hours and hours and hours. Nobody knows where she is. Mm. Doesn't come home really late at night. Peter Bogdanovich doesn't know where she is. Um, At Paul Snyder's apartment, he has roommates and they had come home earlier in the day, seen Dorothy's car out the front and Paul's door closed. Mm. So they just assumed the two had reconciled and they didn't Mm. want to disturb them. So they just went upstairs and watched TV for most of the night. Mm -hmm. And most of the night passes and the private investigator that Paul had hired to spy on Dorothy starts to freak out because Paul had been asking him where he could get a gun. He'd been asking him for weeks where he could get a gun and he wouldn't tell him and wouldn't help him. And now he's come to Paul's apartment and can see Dorothy's car out the front, Mm. but he can't get in touch with Paul. And so he calls and calls and calls and calls. Paul's not answering. So he goes and knocks on the door and says to the housemates, I've been calling Paul's Mm. phone in his room. It's ringing and ringing. He's not answering. I'm really worried. And they were like, oh, we just assumed he was asleep with Mm. Dorothy. But they go and force the door to his bedroom open and see a pretty horrific 
scene. Mm. Um, skip ahead like a minute if you just, I'll be very brief with mm-hmm. these um, details. So skip ahead about a minute if you don't want to hear this part. Um, both Paul and Dorothy's bodies are naked on the floor, covered in bu- uh, blood. They had been dead so long that a trail of ants was crawling uh, oh. all amongst them. Um, it doesn't take police long to determine that this was a murder-suicide. Mm. Paul had killed Dorothy within, they would say, by her body an hour of her arriving at the apartment. He did mm-hmm. it almost straight away. And then this is the icky part, so skip ahead 30 seconds. He then spent time sexually assaulting oh. her body. Before turning the gun on himself, oh. which just really says something about oh. the in, the problematic entitlement of some men mm. to fully inhabit and own a woman in that way. Yeah. Um, he had decided if he couldn't have her, then nobody else could, like not mm. Peter Bogdanovich, not Hugh Hefner, not the world. Domestic violence... Experts often say that the most dangerous time for a woman in an abusive relationship is when she tries to leave. Like when the man feels like he is finally losing the control that he has exerted for so long, he Mm. will resort to any means necessary to not let that happen. And it's that like that's why it's so frustrating when people say to women, well, why didn't you leave sooner? And Mm. it's like because that's often the most dangerous thing you can do is leave. Mm. You've got to it's you've got to be so careful with entitled awful bad men like Uh. this. Um, Dorothy Stratton was just 20 years old Mm. and she had been in Hollywood less than two years. It had been less than two years since that first plane ride into LA. Mm. Hugh Hefner was said to be completely despondent when uh, they called him in the middle of the night. He's the one who called Peter Bogdanovich to tell him he Mm. collapsed and needed to be sedated. And the fallout from her death was massive, obviously. I mean, she had just been named Playboy Playmate of the Year. Mm. They hadn't even published a lot of her photos yet. They Mm -hmm. hadn't had a chance to get to all that stuff. It was massive international news, which led to a lot of discussion about how and why this had happened. Mm. Um, Peter Bogdanovich ended up blaming Hugh Hefner, saying that Mm. he had created a world in which men felt like they were entitled to own women, Uh particularly playmates like Dorothy, and that Paul Snyder was just the eventual um, inevitable end game of that entitlement over mm. women. And this infuriated Hugh Hefner, who said that he considered Dorothy like a daughter and he never had been anything but supportive of her and the whole Playboy family had been desperate to get her out of that abusive relationship. Um, Peter Bogdanovich and Hugh Hefner fought back and forth about this for years, mm. with Peter saying, Dorothy hated what she had to do at Playboy. She felt exploited by it. She um, wished she had never done it. And Hugh Hefner saying, you were front and centre at all the parties. Mm. Like, you treated her like an object just like everyone else. Proven by the fact, get this, that Peter Bogdanovich moved Dorothy's mother and younger sister Louise out to his house after she died. Mm. He paid for Louise's private schooling started a relationship with her when she was 16, (gasps) married her when she was 20 and he was 49, only after having had surgery performed on her jaw to make her look like Dorothy. No, no, no. So Hugh Hefner was like, don't effing talk to me about treating women like they're disposable and interchangeable and only for male consumption when look at what you're doing. No. 
Yeah. <laughs> they were married for 11 years. Oh. Yeah. And we hear sort of vibes. I'm picturing like a Woody Allen, really weird. Very Woody Allen-ish. Uh-huh. Very Yuck. Woody Allen-ish. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I mean, despite their fighting back and forth, Hugh Hefner and Peter Bogdanovich, at the end of the day, like, I just kind of personally think Hugh Hefner, Peter Bogdanovich, and Paul Snyder were just three men who all exerted control mm. over Dorothy in different ways. Mm. They all had something to gain from her. They all treated her like an object and not like a human being in her own right. Mm-hmm. All three of them mm-hmm. treated her badly. Absolutely. They all exploded her in different yeah. ways. Yeah. And I do think there's something to what Peter Bogdanovich said about how Playboy fosters this um, uh, mentality of women being objects mm. to own mm. and acquire and to um, inhabit. And there has to be an eventual end game of that, which mm. is taking someone's life so that you are the ult- you own them ultimately. Yeah. So there is something to that, but I think it doesn't matter how these men are arguing with each other and what their back and forth is. They all kind of played a role in in her mm. kind of downfall, I guess. Yeah, yep. This is tragic. It is really tragic. Mm. Um, Dorothy was buried at the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, which is, you know, the very famous resting place of Hollywood legends like Marilyn Monroe and mm. all those kind of big stars. Playboy did a, a tribute photo spread to her in the next issue. Like the next issue of Playboy was kind of a tribute issue to her. Um, but they generously left out any nudes. Mm-hmm. They thought that would be that wouldn't be tasteful. <laughs> um, Peter Bogdanovich's film, which they had finished filming, mm. and they all laughed, which she starred in with Audrey Hepburn and John Ritter, by the way, wow. um, was not really promoted by the studio because of her death. Like they just mm-hmm. didn't think it was appropriate. They released it in a couple of cinemas and then just quietly withdrew it, mm-hmm. which enraged Peter Bogdanovich because he wanted the world to see. I mean, some people say it's because he wanted the world to see how amazing she yeah. had been in the movie, but other people are like, he's just angry that his mm-hmm. movie isn't doing well, but mm-hmm. I mean, whatever. Um, so he, against all financial advice, bought the rights to the film back from the studio so he could promote it and release it in cinemas himself. Mm -hmm. If they weren't going to do it, he would do it, Um, which was a bad idea because it bankrupted him (sighs) because nobody wanted to see a beautiful girl Uh. playing, you know, an ingenue on screen when they knew that in real life she had just been used up by Hollywood and brutally murdered. Nobody wanted to watch that. Um, But, and they all laughed, is actually considered one of Bogdanovich's best films. Uh It actually is really lovely. She is really good in it. And with the buffer of time, it's become like a really popular classic. classic. Like um, a few years ago, uh, Quentin Tarantino mentioned it was one of his favourite all-time films, so that kind of revived a lot of interest in it. And Mm. she's just really good in it. And it's, it's a small role and you watch it and you're like, oh, my gosh, you could have gone on to mm. be, you know, Julia Roberts. Yeah. Like, it, she, that's where she was headed. Um, on Dorothy's headstone, Peter Bogdanovich had put a quote by Ernest Hemingway. And in proof that Hollywood just can't help but always be extremely Hollywood, mm. a few years after Dorothy Stratton's death, a film about her murder was made called Star 80. 
directed by Bob Fosse, co-starring Julia Roberts' brother Eric Roberts as Paul, Mm. with Dorothy played by Muriel Hemingway, the granddaughter of the man quoted on her headstone. Mm. And that is just the gist of the murder of Dorothy Stratton. Ooh. Very, very, very sad. Very sad. Mm, Tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And gross. Like, the way those men just yeah. took their chunk and she was chewed up and spat out. And then one of them wanted the ultimate chunk. Mm. An abusive, awful man. Oh, that's horrible. But they all kind of exploited her in their own ways. Mm. Like, his relationship with her was very clearly a classic case of severe domestic violence, like an abusive relationship between her and Peter Sni- uh, Paul Snyder. But, um, you know, Peter Bogdanovich and, and Hugh Hefner both kind of mm. had their own weird things there as mm-hmm. well. So it just seems like she was exploited from every direction and she was so close to, like, coming into her own, like, literally from the moment she stepped off the plane in L.A. to when she died, it was less than two years. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And this all happened in that culture that Hugh Hefner was trying to convince people existed of female empowerment. Yeah, that's what he was, that's the purpose of the Playboy Mansion is to empower women. Mm. But, you know, only to empower them so that we can look at them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you happen to know if um, Bogdanovich ended up staying with his wife, Dorothy's sister? No, they were only together for 11 years. Okay. And um, he's still alive and bizarrely had a weird um, cameo on that show called The Good Wife with um, Mm. Juliana Margulies. Um, There's this lawyer who... This female lawyer played by that Australian actress who said she just wants to walk her bulldog in Paris and not talk about home and away. Melissa George. Mm. Melissa George plays a lawyer in The Good Wife who um, is talking, constantly talking about this secret affair she's having with a very important person. And so there's all this suspicion that she's having an affair with Juliana Margulies' politician husband. Mm. And so Juliana starts to get a bit jealous and all his staff are really panicking that he's screwing around. And then at the end of the episode, she walks down the hallway with Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> says, this is Peter, we're having a baby. <laughs> and, like, it's just this weird cameo where he plays himself oh. and he's marrying Melissa oh. George. <laughs> okay. But I guess it, it tracks because he's always been a bit pervy and wanted much uh-huh. younger women. Uh-huh. And he really did go bankrupt. He lost his house. He, mm. he lost pretty much everything after he tried to... Um, push that movie out himself. I I think he did go on to make other stuff, but he never reached the heights that he once had, which, like I said, some people say is because his first wife, Polly Platt, was the talent all along Mm -hmm. because her career went gangbusters after they broke up. Yeah, she dodged a bullet. Mm. So that is, it's a very sad Hollywood show business kind of story. But I think, you know, when you told me you wanted to do the Chippendale murders, I was like, oh, I really should do Dorothy Stratton because that Mm. Dorothy Stratton always ends up a, like, funny little footnote. Oh, did you know that she and Paul Snyder came up with it? And then, by the way, her life has this amazing Mm -hmm. story. And 
And I, yeah, I just recommend you go watch just YouTube clips of her. You can watch YouTube clips of the film and they all laughed. And in the interview she did on Johnny Carson, she just radiates light mm. and loveliness and seems like a genuinely lovely young woman mm. who was destined. She had just such inherent star quality mm. and would have gone to just the most amazing places. Mm-hmm weren't for that sleazy, slimy, greasy man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All of them, really. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, that was, um, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Merry guys. Christmas, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, we will, if we give you just the gist, but if you want more, I'll put all my resources in the show notes, including um, Death of a Starlet uh, was where I got most of my info from that amazing Wondry um, podcast plus um, – you must remember this, did an episode on Dorothy Stratton way back in like 2016, I think. So you mm-hmm. have to like search the words um, and links to films and stuff. There's a, a great episode of a cheesy crime show called Hollywood Homicide mm-hmm. that does an episode on it. Um, and we'll also put resor- like domestic violence resources mm-hmm. in the show notes this week as mm-hmm. well. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. And stay tuned next week because I think it's time for Chippendales. You'll do Chippendales? Yeah. We never give you pre-warning of what never, we're going to do. This is Is this our first two-parter? <gasps> well, it's not really a two-parter. No. It's kind of just like a... a They're linked. Two kind of linked. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Which, I mean, we're sort of doing these by accident as well from time to time. Like when we did the Nodler Gallery scandal last week and I was talking about the Desolets, Domenico Desolets, yes. who sued Anne Friedman and Michael Hammer... He had been a massive part of turning the, the house Gucci of Gucci family into around. a thing. And yeah. so he was a character that you actually knew from yeah. the previous week that we didn't actually draw that parallel until a little bit later. Crazy, crazy, mm. crazy. They're all weaving in together very nicely. Maybe after, um, how long has it been now? Two and a bit years? We're like syncing up like our periods. <laughs> no but normally like we've said before um i get you to tell me what topics you're doing so Mm. i can make sure we don't double up on similar similar things or whatever but um so i can schedule it so we you know make sure we have good variety each week but this one felt like it was good to do together Mm. yes so good companion piece yeah good companion pieces yeah I do think we are starting to really share a brain, though. Or maybe we have for a very long time. The way last night we just looked at each other and were both like, do you want to not go to the movie and just stay, stay here and here? drink? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you start menstruating, tell me the date and I'll tell you if we're truly in sync. <laughs> All right. Uh, bye, everyone. Buy tickets to the shows. Yes, tickets. Where do they go? Uh just go to the Instagram and follow the link. Just the Gist Podcast. Yeah. Just the Gist Podcast. And follow the link or just Google Just the Gist live show and you'll find it. Figure it out for Wow, oh, this is our promoter's going to kill us. <laughs> that was not good. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> it's in my link in bio in my Instagram. It's in the Just the Gist link in bio in Instagram. I've put it up on my Facebook a few times. The link's all over the place. Yeah, you'll find it. You'll find it. You are a person in 2021 who uses the internet. I'm sure you can find it. Um, Okay, bye. Listener.